Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, my co-host for 16 or 17 years, Kathy and I end up forgetting how many years it's been, but it's been a long time that we've been together, and we always are trying to give you some tips, some tools to be in the top 10%. You know, that's a tipping point of such that if you can get into the top 10%, it's like a flywheel in a sense that you are better at what's going on. The people that you lead are usually better. Uh, if you're talking about in your family, it's more cohesive, more harmony. And a lot of what we talk about is based on the concepts of emotional intelligence, you know, the keys to understanding yourself, understanding others, managing yourself, and managing others. And so we like to look at some of these tips and tools that's going to help you move forward. And today we have a great guest that we're going to talk about the performance paradox, uh, Edward Bersenio, and we're going to introduce him in a moment. But Kathy, welcome. Why, thank you, Raleigh. I think one of the reasons why we forget how long we've been together uh, <laughs> is because we're, we're, we're the OGs here of coaching. You know, I, I think that it is uh, really fascinating to me that when you and I got into this industry many, many moons ago, I don't think we ever believed that there would be this many coaches dedicated right. to executive performance. And I have to say, I am thrilled to have Eduardo with us today. I was watching his TEDx, doing a little bit of, uh, you know, good background information to prepare us for the show. Uh And uh, I know as we get into the show today, what I'd like to know about, because I'm always in learning mode versus performance mode when we're on this show, although most of our audience would think we're in performance mode. No, we're in learning mode with you our audience. So I want to hear today about what kind of emotions do top performers actually engage in while they're learning and how do they gear themselves up for that top performance, which are all the things Mm -hmm. that really you and I have been doing for years and years is how to help people get better and better at understanding how their emotions will affect them. And so I'm excited today to have this opportunity to share our learning experience with everybody. And um, if it's okay, I'll go ahead and introduce Eduardo. Right. Sure, sure. I think I'll just uh, say this word. What we want to hear from Eduardo is how do we be the best in the moment? Kathy, you and I always talk about that. The people you're working with, you know, are in extreme moments and under pressure moments. And so I think Eduardo will help us with that. Yeah, go ahead and. Give us his background. Absolutely. So Eduardo Briseño is a global keynote speaker and a facilitator who guides many of the world's leading companies in developing cultures of learning and high performance. We're so excited to hear more about that. His TED and TEDx talks have been viewed more than 9 million times. He was recently shortlisted for the Thinker's 50 Breakthrough Idea Award. And that is given every two years to thinkers who have ignited eureka moments in management, offering 
radical ideas that have the real potential to reshape the future of business as we know it. He's the author of a book that came out on September 5th called The Performance Paradox, Turning the Power of Mindset into Action, one of our favorite subjects, Mindset. And the book was selected as a must-read by the Next Big Idea Club, which is curated by Suzanne Cain, Malcolm Gladwell, Adam Grant, and Daniel Pink, some of our favorite people who have been on the show and who have endorsed our books, uh, books like Emotional Brilliance, Living a Stressless, Fearless Life. So without further ado, Eduardo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kathy and Relly. Great to be here. So, Eduardo, we always start off trying to get a little bit of background, you know, from you, which, which situates kind of where these ideas uh, generated from. And so who have been some of your major influences that kind of have led you to maybe some of the thinking and where you are today? There's been, there have been many. Uh, the, the biggest influence by far has been uh, Stanford professor Carol Dweck, whom I met in 2007 when I was going to grad school. I was looking to make a career change, and I was introduced to her. Um, she, she coined the term growth mindset. Um, she discovered uh, it in the 80s and done lots of research since. And um, now, you know, thousands of researchers have done research on, on this, um, this concept of growth mindset, which is the belief that people can change, that our abilities and qualities are malleable, as opposed to a fixed mindset, which is when we think that we are great because we're naturals, because uh, we, we, our abilities is fi- are fixed at, at, at high levels or we, we can't do something because we're not built for it. Um, so, so, so I've learned a ton. She's been my mentor for 16 years. But along the way, I've, I've also met and learned from um, other incredible people who have influenced me a lot. Um, Professor Anders Ericsson um, at Florida State University, who, who passed away, unfortunately, mm. two years ago. Um, Angela Duckworth um, at the University of Pennsylvania, and, and many people that I haven't met yet, uh, you know, that I've read books from, you know, and, and just listened to them and, and learned from the distance. You know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking of the idea of the performance paradox, and I, I love the concept uh, of looking at things from a dichotomy. When you when you speak about this performance paradox, which is now the topic of your book, why does it ensnare so many of us? What What's going on there? Sure. So a lot of us, and I was in this trap for a lot of my life and my career, you know, we have a, a vague sense, and it was true for me, that the way to improve and to succeed is just to work hard. If we, if we work hard and do our best, then we will get better. And that's, our, that's what maximizes our probability of success. And that's what I was doing. And what I didn't realize, what I've learned from people like Anders Ericsson and, and other people, is that there's two forms of effort. There's two different forms of effort. They're both really important. Uh, one is effort when we try our best to do the best we know how, trying to minimize mistakes. Uh, that's what we call the performance zone. Um, and then there's effort to improve when we go beyond the known, when we try things that may or may not work. Um, and that's what I call the learning zone. And both are really important, 
the, the performance zone is what leads to experience and the learning zone is what leads to expertise. And so it's really it's easy to um, to kind of separate these in in some domains that where performance can be objectively measured, like a, an athlete, you know, playing a championship final, they're going to be trying to minimize mistakes as their performance zone. But then when after after the game, when they go to their coach and say, coach, this move that I was trying to not do during the game, that's what I want to work on now, which is a very different activity. That's the learning zone. That's what leads to improvement. And what most of us um, get trapped. So, so the performance paradox is the counterintuitive reality that if we focus only on performing, our performance suffers. We stagnate. And uh, for most of us, we get stuck just, just getting things done as best as we know how, trying to minimize mistakes in work and life. And so the book is about how can we incorporate the learning zone into our work and lives as individuals, both, um, group like teams and, and organizations. Beautiful. So uh, one of the things, Edward, I'm, I'm curious is, you know, we're all familiar with Carol Dreck's work. Kathy and I talk about it. I'm, I'm sure you uh, have been engrossed in this. So kind of what gave you the sense of writing this book? Because I know you guys will get into it. You probably have a different twist on, on it. But, like, what was the motivation of kind of why write this now? Um, and we'll probably get sure. into some of the, the specifics we'll talk about. Yeah, so say a little bit about that. <clears throat> sure. Well, first, I, I, when I, I co-founded an, an organization with Carol Dweck called Mindset Works, and we were about helping, and we, the organization is still about helping schools foster growth mindset cultures. And what became pretty clear and, and had been clear to Carol Dweck for a long time is anytime we we try to to instill a growth mindset that is the belief that people can change we also need to instill effective strategies um to change and uh, those things go hand in hand and you you really can't do one without the other uh, and and so um when when I, I because i have a business background i i i was in investment banking before and venture capital i studied finance and have an mba and um Organization like businesses started reaching out to me to um, to help them build grow, or help them like learn how to cultivate a growth mindset culture, and they were very interested by the concept of growth mindset. We would talk about deliberate practice, and that was interesting. But they were they were struggling to say, okay, like how do we behave differently? And so I in my workshops I iterated the different concepts and ideas trying to help them. And when I landed on this idea of differentiating learning and performance as the foundation of everything, their eyes lit up and it led to strong insights. It led to strong discussions and alignment. Hmm. And so I realized that this was a concept that people were benefiting a lot from. So I did a TEDx talk on it um, and it's called, now it, it was turned into a TED talk. It's called how to get better at the things I care about and it has over 4 million views. And so that's only an 11 minute introduction though. So the book was a way hmm. to share what I've learned over the last 16 years. Um, in much more in a much more deep way to anybody who can dive deep who wants to dive deep into it, it was also a way for me to learn. I, I interviewed over a hundred great learners and performers and learned about you know awesome strategies that people and organizations use in order to foster cultures of learning and high performance. As you're sharing some of this, it's piquing an interest uh, in I'm sure in Raleigh. Uh, especially in me, I'm actually working across uh, law enforcement right now, 
uh, as you can imagine, Eduardo, helping them with growth mindset around well-being. Uh, because the average life expectancy, once an officer leaves their organization in retirement, is about five years. And some of the things that we know about performance and learning uh, are, are magical in that if we can understand two of the states of mind that you talk about uh, in your TED Talk, we can make immense improvements in our performance. So maybe you could talk to us a little bit about what those states of mind are. Yeah, sure. So the, the learning zone is where we are focused on the unknown. We're leaping beyond the known and trying new things. Uh, we're learning from people who are, have different ideas and also different experiences or maybe are further along in their skills. Um, and the performance zone is when we are just trying our best. So if we are in law enforcement and we have a, a situation on the ground and we are trying to save somebody from harm, we want to try to put our best foot forward to do everything we've learned and try as best as we can to try to minimize mistakes. And not if we, don't, if we, if, if we can avoid taking uh, an unnecessary risk, we try to avoid that, right? And so that's the performance zone. And then in the learning zone is when we when the stakes are not high and we are focusing on improvement. So we might be using virtual reality to get into a situation and then see how we respond and then re, and then you know discuss with our colleagues what decisions did we make, what did we see, what did we not see. So that's an activity very different that's, that's designed for improvement. And as you say, when we incorporate the learning zone into our lives, um, it it decreases our anxiety, it decreases our depression, because first of all, the process of discovery and growth is very fulfilling, um, but also it, it makes it clear to us that we can always improve, no matter how good we are or how, much, how novices we are, we can always improve. And the world's always changing, the world is complex, and when we struggle or when we fail, when we make mistakes, we can learn from those mistakes, um, and so that decreases our anxiety. And when we are in the performance zone and we realize, hey, this is complex and I'm not going to do it perfectly, that also decreases our anxiety in that moment, knowing that later we can work on improvement. Um, and, and so that, that raises our performance because it puts us in a more calm uh, and clear-headed state while we're performing. Let me just say this before Raleigh jumps in here. So this should bring a smile to your face, and please share this uh, with Carol, we, we use her work often in our programs. We actually use the growth mindset quiz before we put people into a learning environment to give them awareness about mm -hmm. where they're coming from in this particular learning state of mind. And uh, in addition to doing that, of course, we give them an emotional intelligence assessment as well. And it makes a dramatic difference in getting them engaged at the right level to be able to be in that learning state of mind, in that learning zone. And uh, I just want to thank both of you for providing that. Well, well, thank you for your important work, and thanks for sharing that. Well, you're very kind. We're going to go to a quick break. Uh, we are so excited to continue our dialogue with the author of the brand-new book, The Performance Paradox, Eduardo Briseño. So come right back. You're listening to Leadership Development News. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Icy Tech, like the hardworking men and women that get up every day and do their job. 
the ones that stop at nothing to make sure that it's done right. It's not just an effort. It's not just know-how. It's a way of life. IC Tech has been with you since 1998. And with the veteran community being behind you, we understand with quality, with passion, we follow you in this way of life. IC Tech, for those who get it. Icy Tech is a proud sponsor of the Emotional Brilliance Academy, where e-learning is leading edge. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Eduardo Braseno. His brand-new book that you can get, The Performance Paradox, Turning the Power of Mindset, into action just came out so you can be one of the first people to get into it we're going to pick his brain a little bit more about some of the tools and some of the tips that are in it but uh eduardo you, you talked a little bit about uh one of your mentors anders erickson we all know him from the ten thousand hours and it uh of practice to be an expert you know and there's uh, a lot of people say well that's not the only part of it you know it's kind of how you practice and stuff but love to kind of hear your take on that <clears throat> Sure. Uh, so um, when he was still alive, he 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 spoke and wrote a little bit about the ten thousand hours because it was often there. There were several misconceptions about the ten thousand, what's called the ten thousand hour rule. Um, one of them is that there was a magic number. You know, like the, the, there's no magic around ten thousand. Uh, what he said is that the more people engage in deliberate practice, the better they'll become. And how many hours it takes to become world class depends on how competitive the field is. And and deliberate practice is a particular uh, type of learning zone activity where you 
focus on a very specific soft skill at a high level of challenge beyond what you can do. And you kind of, you, you try that repeatedly noticing what, what the effect is of what you're trying in between repetitions. So from that feedback, you make adjustments and ideally using kind of the guidance of a coach or a teacher who knows how to, how to develop somebody at your particular level of expertise. So that's deliberate practice. Um, uh, Anders Ericsson pointed out that if you, if you want to like, for example, see why the Beatles became so great, you know, it, it wouldn't be like based on how many hours they played on stage, uh, because playing on stage is a performance zone, not a learning zone. Um, and, and that's not how we improve. What his research shows is that you improve by engaging deliberate practice, not by engaging performance. Um, and so that's one thing that we tend to confuse. We tend to use the word practice uh, for both things. Like we might say, this doctor has been practicing for 10 years. What we mean is this doctor has been performing for 10 years, right? But, but some, so practice to improve is different from practice to perform. So that's confusing. Um, and um, and so the, the key, though, is to, to differentiate between the different types of activities. One is to perform and one is to improve. And, and, and Anders Ericsson focused on a particular type of learning zone, which is deliberate practice. And that's when you block uh, a, a certain amount of time to do this specific activity that he studied and he described. But for most of us, so if you're, if you're like an athlete, deliberate practice is, is a really, really important way to improve and to become world class. So if you're, you know, a musician, um, but, but a lot of us work in, in scenarios where, we have a lot to do and, and there's a lot of skills involved and the biggest opportunity for most of us is not to, to devote large blocks of time to deliberate practice, but rather to shift the way we get things done so that we get them done, not only with one goal, which is to get things done, but also with the goal to improve along the way. And that involves, you know, doing things in different ways, not doing the same thing every day. It involves soliciting feedback. It involves looking at our mistakes. Uh, to learn from those mistakes. Um, and so it's different from just getting things done chronically. So I, wanna, I just want to extend that case study you were sharing so brilliantly on the, uh, the physician, right, the mindset of the physician performing or learning. And, uh, you know, Relly and I are working on a text right now for Oxford University Press uh, to help physicians get better at becoming coaches and learners. I think for the audience, when I had breast cancer two years ago, I wanted to make sure that the physician that I went to see was also in a research hospital, right? Because that's learning by immersion. So you're learning while you're doing, which is a distinction that you make, Eduardo, between learning by doing versus learning while doing. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, first, there is research out of Harvard that shows that on average for, for, on average for doctors, the more years of experience they have on the job, the lower their patient outcomes. And, and that's on average um, because they're so busy just performing, doing the best they can for patients that they, a lot of them haven't incorporated these learning zone habits or environments, like you're saying, uh, in order to continue to improve our time. But but the ones who have incorporated those learning zone habits 
and get into environments like you described, then they do improve, they do continue to improve over time. And so the, the difference that you bring up um, is often we talk about learning by doing, and that I think is confusing because as we've been talking about, just doing, just performing doesn't lead, it actually leads to improvement while we're novices. When we don't know anything and we try to do something, we'll get better. But then once we become proficient, we won't improve anymore, even though we're working hard. And so we, we conclude that we can't improve further. That's a fixed mindset. Uh, but the reason is that we actually don't know how to improve, right? Which is to engage in the learning zone. And so to differentiate, to, to avoid that confusion of giving the impression that in order to learn, we do, and we learn by doing, I make the distinction of, uh, call it learning while doing, because we can learn while doing by doing things differently, but it, it is not just doing, getting things done. It's also, you know, as I said, kind of soliciting feedback is, is developing hypotheses about what might work better and making experiments and seeing what works and what doesn't work. It's engaging our colleagues' brains to, to get their ideas and their perspectives and what they're seeing. Um, it is like you're saying, learning from research, learning from what other people are discovering and what they're uh, sharing with others. Exactly, exactly. So, so with that, that kind of that distinction that you're making, Eduardo, learning by doing, learning while doing, kind of leads to the next uh, question. So if you're in a high-pressure situation where your actions and reactions are, are primed, you know, to be your best in, in the moment, like we talked about it earlier, and there's no time uh, to feel like you're learning, you know, how do you, like, what's your sense on that um, to basically improve, but you're in the moment where you're just um, full on action, action, reaction, reaction. Yeah. So first there, I've been talking about the value of the learning zone, but the, there's a lot of value in the performance zone. The performance zone is critical. That's how we accomplish things. That's how we, that's the main way that we contribute to other people and that we get things done. So we need both of these zones. And sometimes it is appropriate to only focus on the performance zone, to focus on pure performance. Like if I am a surgeon and I am operating on a patient, you know, I want to do the best that I can, trying to minimize mistakes from what I've learned. And put, or if I am in a championship final, I'm an athlete. I want, I, I might just want to win that game and just be in the performance zone, and that's appropriate. But the problem that most, that a lot of us get into is that we are in the, in the pure performance zone all the time. So right, so that 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 leads to stagnation. And and so when when the stakes are very very high and people could get hurt, or you know, there's something that's really important for you to get done, it's appropriate for you to shift to the performance zone. But then, you know, after, after that situation, you know, going back to the habits that we have built to incorporate the learning zone into our work and our lives. And, and so often a lot of us feel like uh, when I introduce these ideas, a lot of people feel that's awesome, but like, I'm so busy. I don't see how I can make time for the learning zone. And what I would advise is um, focusing first on things that are easy to do, but frequent. Um, and, and kind of focusing on shifting how we do things, right, than, than, than scheduling blocks of time to engage in the learning zone, which can be very valuable, but they're, they're, they're difficult place to start. And so even if it's just as simple as identifying what am I trying to improve and reminding myself every morning of what that is, that in itself 
is super valuable because it primes a growth mindset, it primes a learning zone, and it helps us start to rewire our brains so that we pay more attention to those opportunities to improve throughout our day. Now, let me give an example uh, that may be helpful to our audience if you know anything about sports. Uh, we know that there are specific uh, NFL players. I'll give you an example, Patrick Mahomes. He has what are called A, B, and C days in the gym where he is using the A day to look at how he wants to perform and exercising those muscles to a degree. On the B day, he takes them to a next level. And on the C day, he maxes those out so that by the time he's on game day, which is within 72 hours of that event, those muscles have been maxed at different levels so that when he's on the game field, he's not stressed out because he knows what it feels like and what his performance will be at each of those levels. And I do this, Eduardo, with some of my clients, and really you'll appreciate this. What I tell them to do is to pick an emotion, any emotion, especially from their emotional intelligence assessments. And I say, pick on A day, pick something you'd like to work on. On your B day, think of ways to apply that based on some coaching or feedback. And on C day, practice it with others. And so that seems to fit very well with what you're distinguishing here between a learning zone and a performance zone, but using it learning while doing. Does that make sense? It does, and I, I love it. And it is just it shows how being deliberate about improvement is the way to improve, rather than assuming that if you just jump in and get things done as best as we you know how, then improvement will result. Good. I'm glad so, I'm doing something that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I like to you know, given we're in the football season, and uh, there's a there's a uh, uh, Netflix movie, you know, about quarterbacks and they highlight Mahomes and it's pretty interesting, you know, because it's, uh, Peyton Manning is the executive producer and just saying that it's got to be in sports, the hardest position, you know, cause so much is happening, you know, in that, in that moment. So that's really good. And so when you yeah, think about I, this, uh, Ed, Eduardo, I just, in want, regards yeah, I just to, wanted to, <laughs> just wanted to say one more thing on that. And Eduardo, if you haven't watched this episode in audience, if you haven't watched it, it's amazing because they look at cousins and they look at how he's using mindset feedback by actually using interactive applications so that when your mind is not focused on something, it brings you back to it. So I would encourage everybody as Relly has just shared with you to go take a look at that. Sorry, Relly, I'm just, so many good examples in those programs. Thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. I look forward to watching that and learning from it. Thank you both. <laughs> well, you think about that decision-making in the moment, and this is why I want to kind of zero in a little bit on this, Eduardo, because especially the groups that Kathy's working with, uh, you know, in the moment, there's no really time to improve. Now, is that is it, are you saying that to improve in these high-pressure moments, it, it is the practice of preparation or maybe the simulation versus in the moment when they're just pure performance. So it does sound like you're, you know, well, go ahead. Let me let you answer on that. I think it depends. 
Yeah, I think it depends on the situation. Like in the in the case of quarterbacks, uh, they are very high pressure situation, and if they're in a game, you know, playing a game, there, I, I think it's very appropriate for them just to focus on performance. But then, in you know, one of the things that they do to practice that is they use you know virtual okay. reality, uh, three hundred sixty videos where the 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 quarterback feels like they are on the play they have to make a decision in, the, in that same amount of time there's all kinds of things going on and and their coach is right next to them and so they they play the play they do what they want to do they throw the ball right to a net um and then they stop and they they play it in 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 uh, in, in slow motion and they both look at everything that was going on and they talk about what did you notice right. Um, why did you make this decision? And then let's play it back again. Yeah. And that, and so they are, like you're saying, they are, they're focused on improvement right there and they're focused on preparation so that, so that when the high pressure situation happens, then they can perform better. So that's, a, that's, that's where they are kind of differentiating, like separating them quite a bit. A different situation, yeah. um, might be a situation that a lot of us are in where we are kind of making everyday decisions and solving problems that are, you know, not like high stakes. I mean, most of us are trying our best, but if we make a mistake or we try something and it doesn't work, it's not going to cause a lot of damage. And so when you look at people in a growth mindset, like there, there was a study that looked at uh, people uh, solving problems inside, inside of a brain scan machine. And before they got them into the brain scan machine, they, they gave them some questions to assess whether they were more in a growth mindset, thinking they could become smarter, or in a fixed mindset, right. thinking that intelligence was fixed. And, and so they put these people to, in a brain scan machine to, to see whether, as they solved problems, their brain worked differently. And they did find that they worked, their brain worked differently. So for people in a fixed mindset, their brain was most active and paying the most attention, having the most blood flow, when they were getting information about whether they got this problem right or wrong. Um, that's what they were most interested in. It's, it's as if they were trying to figure out how smart they were. But people in a, in a growth mindset, so their, their brain was not active at all at a different time, which is when the people in, who believed they could become smarter, their brains was the most active at that other time. Now, they also paid attention to whether they got things right or wrong, but they paid more attention when they were getting information about what mistakes they made, what they did wrong. So they, and they thought about those mm-hmm. things so they could learn from them. And then in the subsequent problems, they were more successful. So they became better problem solvers because they paid attention to their mistakes and they paid attention to their mistakes in part because they thought they could become smarter. So what does this tell me? This tells me everybody was just solving problems. If you look at them, they were just doing their stuff. They were solving problems. But some of them were paying attention to what they could learn and others were not. And that made all the difference. So for, for all of us, we can engage in learning while doing by paying attention to what surprises us, to the things that we don't perfectly do, to, don't do perfectly, to when we make mistakes, and thinking about what could I do better, what could I do differently um, going forward, and that makes all the difference. When, when you're talking about these distinctions, I can't help but think about our bias. You know, we all have, uh, we call them seeds, you know, based on the work of uh David Rock at the Neuro Leadership Institute, um, seeds, S-E-E-D-S, right? Is this safe for me? Is this uh, expedient for me? Do I have the experience to do it? What is my uh, distance bias on it? And what is the safety bias 
uh, on it, or similarity bias on it, I should say. And so how do you see these biases working into the ability here to learn versus perform? Well, as you say, we all have biases, um, uh, all kinds of biases that are unconscious. Like, by definition, we don't, we are not aware of these biases, right? And so, uh, but we can become more aware of the biases, and also we can we can we can change our systems to mitigate the biases. And so, in right, any, any of I'm those gonna, situations, I'm just going to say, hold that thought for a second. I'm being a professional interrupter here, and I apologize. We're going to go to a quick break, Eduardo. We're going to come right back to this bias discussion, and I'm not sure what. Right crazy noises are in the back because we're all in separate places, but we may want to check in on it. (laughs) We'll be right back. You're listening to Leadership Development News. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. How can you be brilliant in the moment? Given the daily challenges you face at work and home, how can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. Icy Tech. Like the hardworking men and women that get up every day and do their job. The ones that stop at nothing to make sure that it's done right. It's not just an effort. It's not just know-how. It's a way of life. Icy Tech has been with you since 1998. And with the veteran community being behind you, we understand with quality, with passion, we follow you in this way of life. Icy Tech, for those who get it. Icy Tech is a proud sponsor of the Emotional Brilliance Academy, where e-learning is leading edge. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Eduardo you can uh, see more of his information and about the book at https 
uh, colon forward slash forward slash Brasino, B-R-I-C-E-N-O.com. And then you'll, there's information there about the book and information about some of the strategies and things we're talking about. So before the break, we were talking about biases uh, and maybe a little bit more about that, but also kind of you were saying it would lead into mistakes and, and how do we make the most of, of mistakes. Sure. Uh, thank you, Riley, and thank you, Kathy. So, yeah, we were talking about biases, and uh, Kathy asked about how the learning zone can help us deal with biases. And biases are things that we all have and we are not conscious of by definition. So, so we have unconscious biases, and then our systems that we've created and that we are part of are biased too. And so the learning zone is critical for us to become more aware of both of those things, right? Of, um, um, uncover more of our unconscious bias and put them more into our consciousness so we become more aware and then also uh, changing our system so that we mitigate these biases. So how do we do that? Um, through in, in, A lot of it is through information from other people, right? So uh, often, like one example is when, when as a leader, one, one mistake that I made um, that was based on my biases is that I wasn't aware of this, but it seemed what, and I, I just learned that this often happens that when kind of males uh, are leaders and people who from underrepresented groups share an idea. And when I was, when I, when I liked that idea, when I thought that was a great idea, I tended to emphasize that idea more. I tended to say, I think that's a great idea for these reasons. And I intended to do that more. I didn't know this from people from underrepresented groups rather than other people. Um, and, and that made, made people from underrepresented groups frustrated because they felt like unless a male in a position in power said something, they weren't going to be hurt. And so I, I didn't know I was doing these things. I didn't know how people were feeling. And I, I learned this from, um, from like doing the work of reading books, right? Like how to be an anti-racist by Ibram Kendi and reading books about like how the biases that we have and the systems that we're part of uh, so that I could become aware and curious about might I be doing some of these things and then engage in conversation with some of my colleagues. We can also do this by, by asking, by, by creating a culture of psychological safety where other people, right. like we're asking other people for feedback. That's what I, that's what I failed to do uh, early in my career is, is just solicit feedback frequently from other people so that I can uncover more of these biases and more of these things that I was doing uh, mm. differently from some group of people than others. And then similarly, like we can, we can like look at our systems, like learn from experts and learn from our colleagues about how do our systems, our habits uh, perpetuate some of these biases and some of these inequities so that we can make things uh, so that everybody can thrive, and that can increase everybody's performance and the performance of our teams and our organizations. So these these mistakes that I am talking about is what I call aha moment mistakes, which are when we do something as best as we know how, um, and then we or, or we do something and we think it was the right thing to do, but but we realized it was the wrong thing to do. Right? I was trying to to elevate and champion and celebrate an idea, and it was it was it was the wrong thing to do. So that's an aha moment. Now, mistakes 
are really, really precious sources of learning. That is uh, really, really central is, is how we can proactively drive our neuroplasticity once we are adults, you know, beyond our mid-20s, uh, but, but also mistakes lower performance. And so sometimes we are a little bit confused and we don't know how to think about mistakes because on one hand, we know that they're valuable. On the other hand, they lower performance and that creates a bit of a conflict. Uh, internally within ourselves and then with each other. And so what I do in chapter five of the book is I talk about four different kinds of mistakes so that once we have more nuanced understanding of mistakes, then we can better understand how to approach them in the mistakes as individuals and in collaboration with others. So there's the stretch mistakes, which are mistakes that we do when we are in the learning zone, trying something that we don't know if it's going to work well or not. If we're in the learning zone, we we have to expect to make mistakes, right? The only way to try to minimize mistakes is if we're in the performance zone. So we want to make a, a lot of stretch mistakes, not by trying to do things incorrectly, but by trying to do things that are challenging. Um, we want to do that when, when things are safe, when the mistakes are not going to create a lot of damage. When, when there's high stakes, we might try to avoid the, the high stakes mistakes, which is the second type of mistake. And that, those are mistakes we're trying to minimize, to avoid. Um, because we don't want to hurt other people. Then there's the sloppy mistakes, which are mistakes we make when that we should have known better. We already have learned this lesson. Um, and any mistake, whenever we make any mistake, it's an opportunity to reflect and think about what led to the mistake, what can, what can I change in my systems or in my habits in order to try to avoid this mistake in the future. And then fourth, there's the aha moment mistake, which I talked about before, which is when I do something as I intended and then I realize, it was the wrong thing to do. Uh, and w the key here is that we want to drive our stretch mistakes by doing things that are challenging. And when aha moment mistakes come up, we want to notice them and treasure them and get the lessons from there because they're really, really precious. And we can, we can surface more aha moment mistakes from soliciting more feedback. Um, the last thing I'll say about mistakes is that we want to be careful about weaponizing mistakes. What I see as a sloppy mistake, somebody else might see as a stretch mistake, right? Or as an aha moment mm -hmm. thing. So we wanna, when other people make mistakes, we wanna approach that with curiosity um, and kind of help them understand, like help us learn how they're thinking about it, what lessons they're drawing from it. Because if we kind of punish other people when they make mistakes, then they're gonna try to avoid mistakes all the time. And that's gonna lead them to being chronic performance. And then we're gonna stagnate. I love that. My little heart is singing right now. I, I want to ask you, Eduardo, about other aspects that support the learning and performance zones. What about play or fun? And certainly in most of our lives, it's rest. But when we think about flying in a plane with a pilot or putting a uh, law enforcement professional on the street, that sleep and rest is absolutely critical to their performance. So tell us a little bit about how play and fun and rest have a role when it comes to this improvement and, and performance aspects of what you're sharing. Absolutely. They, they do have a role in, in, in improvement and performance and also in our lives, you know, in, in just having, you know, joyful uh, lives where we're making the most of our time on earth. But when it comes to learning and performing, um, you know, you would think that, I would think that, incorrectly, that 
the best violinists in the world and the best athletes in the world engage in deliberate practice you know, 10 hours a day or 12 hours a day. But actually, that's not true. The, if you look at the, the best, most skilled people in these domains, they engage in deliberate practice anywhere between two and five hours each day. And the reason is that engaging in deliberate practice is involves a lot of concentration um, and and that that tires us, that drains the brain, and we need rest. And so it kind of quality is really important, not just quantity. When we think about ten thousand hours, like it's not ten thousand hours. It's like you need you need the quality is more important, right? And 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 when we when we take breaks, our brain is recharging, but it's also working in the background and making new connections. Um, when we these people also like sleep more than other people actually, and they take naps more than other people, the people who, who become best at what they do. Um, and the brain is removing toxins when we're sleeping, but it's also making new connections and disconnecting neurons that shouldn't be connected. So it's actually physically rewiring, which is changing the way we think, it's changing our intelligence. So sleep is one form of learning, learning zone strategy. Um, and what, to, the, to your point about play, um, not only does it foster kind of positive emotions, which are also beneficial for learning and performance, but when we play, when we tinker, when we explore in things that are disconnected from our work, from disconnected from the main thing that we focus on, um, we, we, we get inspiration for how to do our thing differently, or we connect things that were previously disconnected, which leads to innovation. And in fact, if you look at the, the Nobel Prize winning uh, uh, scientists, they are 20 times more likely to engage in like the performance arts, for example, than other high performing scientists or the general public. Uh, so these hobbies, these things that we do that are different, uh, they, they really lead to breakthroughs and connections and innovation. And it's, it's something else to add to the mix in terms of our our habits uh, that we that we engage in on a daily basis. I love it. So Eduardo, I you're love talking, it. You're talking about some of the habits that people have that are important, you know, and, and especially we know uh, in some of the improving crafts, we talked about sports, we talked about musicians. Like, what are some of the key learning strategies uh, that maybe is in your book but I'm also curious, you know, one that I would think is probably like around visualization. You know, that's important to kind of visualize in this situation. But maybe talk about some of these learning strategies and, you know, maybe is visualization part of it? And then what else would you add to those strategies? Sure. There, there's a ton of different learning downsides for a lot of different situations and skills. Um, so if you want to become great, you know, at surgery, like finding someone who is great at surgery and who is in like the the develop in the in the business or, or uh, domain of helping surgeons become better at surgery is is the place to go, right? Uh, but but in terms of um, simulation or visualization, um, if you look at that, that is definitely a strategy that's powerful. If you look at the highest performers performing salespeople, for example, um, they tend to engage in, in visualization or simulation uh, more than others. So they tend to think about how is this conversation with this prospect or this client, how might it go? Uh, what might they say? What, how am I going to start the conversation? 
if they bring up this particular objection, how might I um, respond? And that that is, is part of what helps us learn and prepare to perform well on our job. So that's one, one, one example of a learning zone strategy. Um, similarly, and, and so the, the, be- the highest performing salespeople, they in- the, the biggest thing is that they engage in the learning zone on a regular basis, like at least once a week, they'll either do that, which I described, they'll read to expand their knowledge about their product or the industry, uh, they'll solicit feedback from, from, from clients and from peers, they, they, uh, they, they engage in the advice of experts uh, like other people who are in their company, for example, or, or outside their company that are experts in sales. And when they do this weekly, they sell more. And so sometimes when, when we introduce these ideas, people feel like I have too much to do, right? I, have, I don't have time for this learning thing. Uh, but what we see consistently across industries is that the people who, who habituate these things actually achieve more, right? They can get more done. Um, but other other learning and strategies, for example, are uh, experimentation. And often a trap that people get into when it comes to experimentation is that they we we get confused about the purpose of the experiment. And sometimes we experiment trying to scale at the same time. So we experiment at a grand scale, and that makes it really hard to iterate to change in between what, from what we're learning from one one experiment to the other. And that makes us a lot slower and that it decreases our probability of success. So, um, so being clear about oh, experimenting in a way that we can fail fast, which often means uh, experimenting in a way that's lean and small so that we can learn the lessons before actually scaling is something to think about. So listening feedback is probably the number one, I think, strategy for most of our contacts. Just soliciting feedback at least a few times a week, not just from one person, but from several people because we're social beings and we're often in most of what we're doing, we're trying to have an effect on somebody else, whether it's a person we're trying to serve or our colleagues or our loved ones or friends. And so when we uncover what's in their mind and how we're coming across what we're doing that's helpful and not helpful, and we learn, we get information and that's precious information for us to continue to improve. Those are some of the learning sample learning strategies that we can think about. Eduardo, we are at the end of our hour with our listeners today, but obviously we're going to have to have you back. Go to brisenio.com to look up more information about Eduardo and his brand-new book, The Performance Paradox. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Tune Up Your Performance with Leadership Development News. And don't forget to go to www.emotionalbrilliance.com backslash academy for your free ebook, 11 Reasons Why You Need to Develop Emotional Intelligence Right Now. Thank you, everybody. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.